0: This is Undisciplined. I'm Shoshana Bucksbaum. You've likely read the recent headlines about teens and their smartphones. A Wall Street Journal investigation uncovered internal documents from Facebook. One of the most startling statistics, around one-third of teen girls who already feel self-conscious about their bodies, well, they feel worse after going on Instagram. And then there's other research showing that teens are lonely and more depressed than ever before, all because they're glued to their smartphones. But it's not all bad. A new study shows that the internet can also be a place for teens to cope with daily stressors. And like most things in life, moderation is key. To help us better understand this new research is Catherine Modeki. She's the study's lead author and an associate professor of applied psychology at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia. Catherine Modeki, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. To
0: start off, what was your big takeaway? What did you find in this study? How were teens using smartphones uh, to cope with negative things happening to them?
1: Adolescents are smart, right? They're not doing things uh, for no reason. And so we, what we did is we um, worked directly with youth and we loaned them brand new iPhones for a week and asked them to use it just like they use their regular phones. And then we texted them throughout the day to find out how they were feeling, whether they'd been using technology, what stressors they'd been experiencing and how intense they were. And what we found is when adolescents use technology to cope in the moments after a stressor, they bounce back from stress better. But that's only when they use online coping in moderate amounts. So if they didn't use technology at all to cope, or if they used it, you know, basically that's all they used, we didn't see really any effect, but we found this really nice protective effect when, you know, that Goldilocks question of just right, right in the middle uh, was widely beneficial.
0: Yeah. So are there specific things that teens were doing that helped them cope more than others? Like- you know, was texting with friends better than like watching a YouTube video to sort of distract themselves or put them in a better mood?
1: Right. That's a great question. Well, coping is a really big literature. Um, And what we, we asked really three areas. We asked just what you you mentioned, self-distraction. And, and actually I thought self-distraction wouldn't be particularly beneficial, but in the short term it was actually. So we asked about three kinds of coping and all kinds, we found this effect. So reaching out for support, seeking information online and distraction they all in their different ways seem to be beneficial when used in moderate amounts.
0: Yeah, I mean I think though that like teens aren't totally different from adults and like I think of myself as you know you've had a bad day like what do you want to do? Like I want to watch Netflix or I want to watch a uh, YouTube videos myself. You know what I mean? Like it 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 right. does seem to make sense. You know, you want that little bit of escape. Teens are no different.
1: Exactly. Or, you know, reaching out. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, peers are online. That's where everybody is. Um, Or, you know, if you're trying to figure out something, you know, as a teen, um, where are you going to look for information? So as you said, they're no different than anyone else and they use technology for a reason. And I should also say, you know, this study, you know, was a, was a project of love, frankly, it took, you know, six years to finally get these data. Um, and these were kids living in very low SES context. So I was really interested in kids who, you know, adolescence is a stressful time, but arguably they have another layer of stress on top of that given you know, they're in circumstances that were were fairly stressful in terms of their family situations, the lack of social supports, the the context of the community they were coming from. So it was, for me, really heartening to see these kids make use of the online space in the service of their own well-being.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit more. So you, the data that you gathered um, was from students within two low-income school districts. So Why did you decide to focus on low income students and like, what's the difference?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, um, I'm a developmental psych and my background has always been focused on at risk families and children. And, and looking at the technology literature, you know, it really comes is sort of a white middle class narrative, like the largest stress for these families is that, you know, the child is using too much technology, when in reality, families have all kinds of stressors and technology may or may not be at the the top of, of those stressors. Likewise, families use technology in all kinds of different ways, but as, as, a, as a researcher, I'm also really interested in how can we make use of the fact that kids are carrying around these things, it's in, they're in their pockets, it's a third limb, you know, this is a way we can reach kids that normally would be really, really difficult to reach. So for me, it was really exciting to think about what are the ways kids are already using this with them back, you know, with the long term thinking of how can we best meet kids where they are online to, to provide even better supports.
0: Yeah. And so one of the things that you that you mentioned, and that is the key to all of this is moderation, right? So it's like, you know, the kids need to be online and engaged. But obviously going over that line of like being too online, you have sort of negative effects there. How do you, you know, how do you have your kid get that sweet spot? I mean, even me as an adult, like, you know, I'll be like going to bed and I'll be like, Oh, I'm just gonna look on Instagram, or I recently got on TikTok, even though I'm like a little too old to be on it. But you know, the technology itself is like addicting, you know, like the feed keeps populating. Like, how do you get that moderate level?
1: Right. That's a, that's a very good question. I would say two things. So one is if you just sort of think about, we have sort of a repertoire of options. So if I'm a teenager, it might be extracurricular activities. It might be hanging out with friends. It might be hanging out with family, depending on that situation. It might be, you know, the repertoire of things online, like I said, distraction or reaching out for support or looking for information. So I like to think of it as sort of like a toolbox, like a repertoire. And so, you know, if kids are not online at all, they are missing out on nearly all of the social um, happenings, and that that you know that that's not actually going to necessarily be beneficial, and it can probably be problematic, frankly. In terms of parenting, we actually have a, a paper under review now. Uh, colleagues, Amy Orbin at University of Cambridge and Rachel Goldberg at University of California, Irvine, and Pam Wisniewski, who's um, a human computer interaction scholar at University of Central Florida. And we did a huge review of how we actually measure parenting of adolescents when it comes to technology, because, you know, how should we be parenting? We, we don't know. And the measures we're using are from television. right? And they're nearly all negative. Right. Mm-hmm. They're literally nearly all negative or they're saying, sit next to your child and talk to them about the after school special they're watching. Right. So mm-hmm. they're they're absolutely they're actually quite devoid of, the, of current context. So different families, you know, for instance, Latino families have some of the lowest rates of cyberbullying because of the norms they'd use around technology use. That's from the Pew Center uh, research. So I think one is it's not going to be homogeneous. Different families are going to have different norms, different contexts, different stressors. To there, there's probably, for parents too, a repertoire. What we did is we, we looked at all the literature in terms of how we're, we've been measuring it, including focus groups. And from focus groups, we see a lot of parents do that balancing thing. Okay, you need to be engaged in other things, activities, or you need to do all your homework before you go online, right? On one hand, some parents are literally cyber stalking their kids. <laughs> yeah. And that but that's not the answer because adolescence is is not about that. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: it's also interesting what you're saying of like, you know, you did this whole literature review and it's like looking back to these these research studies about T V and its effect on kids and teens. So it sounds a lot like the technology is moving faster than collecting enough data to interpret and know how this technology is affecting teens.
1: Absolutely. And I will say we're better, but I would say the last five to seven years has been a gluttony of really not great research, cross-sectional you know looking for the risk so rather than being sort of exploratory and seeing what might be there just coming in with this assumption of risk and getting a lot of press frankly and and when something's cross sectional that actually can only tell us so much so what we do know is that typically kids who have offline risks so depression body image things of that sort it 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 can be the case that those challenges can be exacerbated online at the same time there are lots of ways kids Good things from the online space. So there's lots of variability in terms of outcomes. Kids are not, you know, worse off than they were in, in, you know, in the 80s and 90s. That's actually not what the data show. So there have been research out there that's sort of pinning, you know, kids are more suicidal and more depressed. And this happened during iPhones. No. <laughs> so actually, that's not what the data show. Kids are actually doing better than they've they've done in the past. So um, I, but I will say, in the last few years, there's a, there's a a large group of researchers, or a growing group of researchers, I should say, that have really been pushing back around that narrative. The Jacobs Foundation and Society of Research and Child Development actually put together a group of, of researchers, which I was lucky enough to be a part, in part to say, what what is the science? What's the reality of development when it comes to technology use? And the overwhelming takeaway was... Just what you're saying—that these are outdated discussions coming from television—we we need to catch up with the science.
0: Yeah, and I think I read articles almost every day that are sort of ringing the alarm bells, like kids are more depressed than they've ever been, and it's because of smartphones. Like, you know, why does that research one get so much attention? As you you had said, you know, it's sort of flawed. Like, why is that research not maybe getting at what's really going on and I mean I kind of know why it gets headlines is because parents are worried and you know well, yeah yeah <laughs> but like what you know why is that research pinpointing that conclusion
1: yeah well so you you first of all you you hit the nail on the head that you know when kids are engaged with technology it's a black box right and so as a parent you actually you know don't necessarily know what's happening and and that doesn't you know that that can feel disconcerting so you've got that piece You know, I think of like the cyberbullying narrative, which is less in the forefront now than it was, let's say, seven years ago. But I did a big meta-analysis, you know, in 2014 that showed that actually the rates of cyberbullying were half that of in-person bullying. And they were almost perfectly correlated. (laughs) So, you know, and so and and that caused a big backlash. I think oftentimes when something's new and early, everyone's sort of trying to figure out how do we measure this? How do we do this? And that makes sense. You're going to have that period but perhaps the online risk narrative has has taken that to a new level but i would say there's a whole host of new researchers out that that that's really pushing back against that
0: yeah i mean i think the other thing is like i grew up in the 90s and there was this panic over like not letting your kid watch too much tv and it's like rotting their brain and that they're reading these teen magazines and it's giving girls eating disorders and there's these unrealistic beauty standards and i think You know, there's this huge panic about that. And then like, okay, and then the Internet comes out and there's social media and it feels like, you know, a similar sort of panic. Is there something uniquely different about the Internet and the ways that teens are using the Internet than like previous media that sort of interests you or is concerning to you?
1: I would say that both of your points are correct. So on one hand, yes, we're seeing the same thing again and actually you can go back to the bicycle. you can go back to the original you know telephones and homes about how they would destroy families. So there is a narrative that repeats and and that needs to be taken into account absolutely and you sort of see this cycle where it goes it's about risks, you know physical risks you know then emotional risks and then it comes around as sort of oh, but there might be benefits so on one hand, there's a familiarity here. On the other hand, there are differences.
0: Right, right. So it can be, there can be issues, but the magnitude of them is perhaps not quite what the research is telling you.
1: You know, if we step back to think, the, the is the answer to, to just keep the kids offline? No. So what happens with these narratives is the idea that, ah, it's it's online. So if I just take the kid offline, it's all going to be fine. And that that's just absolutely, it was just what I was saying with cyberbullying. It's absolutely not the case. So these things are happening offline too. You know, adolescence is a peak time for risk for depression and for externalizing and for images, you know, body image, you know, so all these things Are a risk factor during adolescence generally, and the idea that if we just get them offline, everything's going to be handy dandy is absolutely not the case. So, you know, when you asked about, you know, at risk schools, I mean, when I start getting frustrated around these things, is there's only so many prevention dollars we have, right? There's only so much energy, there's only so many times we're going to talk about teenagers and the zeitgeist. So, why don't we talk about how we can productively help them? Right. As opposed to this idea that it's the Internet. And if we just take them off the Internet, they're going to be fine, which is absolutely not the case.
0: Right. And you can't. I mean, at this point, it's you know, it's not like you can just put it the cat back in the bag. No, all. you can't.
1: But that yeah. also wouldn't make them necessarily not depressed. Does that make sense? So if a kid, totally. you know, as I said, it's the offline risks that that let, t- seem to then move, the, make their way online. And then, of course, you can find yourself in certain echo chambers and, and things of that sort. Yeah,
0: so what what prompted you to look at coping specifically? Like what is yeah. it about that aspect of this whole conversation that you thought was really important to spend time looking at and really figuring out?
1: Well, first of all, I study adolescents. It's just such a compelling time because of so many changes. There's biological changes, there's cognitive changes, and I mentioned earlier, you know, kids are fig- trying to figure out who they are. Uh, So it's a it's a peak time of risk, but it's also this amazing time of opportunity. And I actually spent um, three plus years working with very at risk youth for Outward Bound in the U.S. So Mm. we'd spend a month in the woods Mm -hmm. instead of they were court ordered. So instead of going to jail, they basically spent a month with me in the woods. And 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 it was all about challenge. And the idea is we're going to put these kids in stressful circumstances to enhance their coping adolescence is really just about coping with all of these new, new challenges. So, you know, new friends, new identity, you know, moving away from family. So, and then if you layer on, as I said, kids in less advantaged contexts who, you know, they're, 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 they're facing challenges oftentimes at home. I mean, I had the kids in my study. I had a kid family living in a tent who was in my study. I had kids in foster care, you know, these were quite at risk. And, you know, they're, they were navigating this, you know, incredibly resiliently. Um, so I'm always really engaged in how are adolescents making their way through a time that that is a challenge. It's a developmental transition for everyone. And I just think generally adolescents are incredibly resilient.
0: Yeah. And I think also when you were saying this, it made me think of like, when we talk about adolescence and especially with technology or being online it it sort of takes away their agency you know it like it yes. is the time in which they yes. are you know i'm not so far removed that i can't remember what it was like and you know i'm a millennial and i you know i had i didn't have a smartphone smartphones weren't invented yet but when i was in high school but you know i had a cell phone i was texting friends i was communicating using the internet and that is it, i wasn't a passive participant in you know technology i was an active participant i think sometimes that gets that gets lost that teens are coping they're actively dealing with the situations in front of them
1: absolutely and doing it in really clever resilient ways they're making use of what's around them and and so if you think about kids who tend to be harder to reach right so you know, it would be very unlikely that many of the adolescents in, in this particular study would, would, would walk into a, a clinic, for instance, um, to engage with someone, but to un- better understand, well, how are they? How are they navigating these things in day to day, you know, in the moment? What are they doing?
0: Yeah. So what, what's next for your research? What kind of questions did this bring up for you that you're hoping to find out in your next study?
1: well we have two two arms so one is 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 the parenting element and we've actually been working towards uh creating a new measure of parenting adolescents in the di- digital age so what does it mean to parent adolescents in the digital age as i said i mean we're using measures from television and then that's what goes into the research and then that's what gets you know narrated into the media and so it's a sort of negative feedback loop as opposed to thinking more broadly about best ways to parent and for and for what types of kids and, and for whom. Um, the second piece is is getting at real-time data in terms of kids screen use in terms of what they're doing on their phone. So passive sensing data, we've got a project we're piloting right now. Um, So it's asking kids how they're feeling and what stressors they're experiencing, but it's actually taking data from the phone with consent to really get a better idea of the different ways that they're making use of these devices in more specific ways via objective data.
0: For any parents that are listening that have teenagers or kids that are about to be teenagers and they're really worried about this because it's like this, like you had said before, it's like this little black box that's like in their pocket that's with them all the time. Are there any sort of practical takeaways for parents that you could share to either one, like reassure them that it's not this like big scary thing or any sort of just things to keep in mind when parenting adolescents that are online all the time?
1: So I would say with the, with, with the what not to do, I mean, it's, it's not all parents, but there does appear to be a subgroup of parents who are truly cyber stalking, you know, their kids. Takeaway technology. Adolescence is about kids figuring out who they are and having some separation to do that. And so just as we wouldn't be following them around if they were down the street going to the playground or going to our friend's house, we have to remember that giving that that space to sort of figure out who they are, because it's sort of some of that reasonability sometimes seems to be lost in the online space for, for perhaps a subset of parents. Um, the second piece I would say is obviously modeling for our kids what we want. So some of the more successful ways that came across in these focus groups was everybody charges their phone in the kitchen. Get your kid an alarm clock. That's, that's, that's a really handy way, right? Yeah. Get yourself an alarm clock. So, so us modeling ourselves um, what we're asking for our kids. And the last thing I would say is that in the end of the day, it's about the quality of our relationship with our kids. If we want to do well by our teenager, it's about having a relationship where they're going to actually tell us what's happening to some extent, having a relationship where, where we are, can give them some space because they've earned that trust, having a relationship where they can come to us and talk. So you can use every techno gizmo in the world. That is not going to replace the parent-child relationship. We, we sometimes seem to lose sight of the reality that it's actually about the quality of the relationship more than the context itself.
0: Yeah. And I think I want to pick up on something else you mentioned about the whole modeling of parents. And I think that sometimes parents forget that maybe they're on their phone responding to work emails during dinner, yep. you know, but they expect yep. their kid to put the phone away, you know, and I yep. think that 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 conversation is missing, too. Yep.
1: yeah. Yeah, and so actually, so we did a, it's called a multiverse study where you basically take, this was a data set of 3,000 parents in Australia about their smartphone use. Um, and you, kind of, you, and you, you do it in an exploratory way. So you're not just looking at risk. It could be positive. You're really sort of seeing you know, where are relations weak, where are relations bust, and strong versus weak. So I looked at 48 different patterns of ties between parent smartphone use and parent-child relationship quality. And actually, as long as there weren't, it wasn't interfering with a quality. Of, of that relationship, and there wasn't sort of conflict in the family about the parents' phone use, more time was actually correlated. So it was, you know, the same time point with better parent child relationship quality. So all that tells me or tells us is that likely that means parents are able to sort of be around their child more. They're around, you know, they have that flexibility, but they're managing it in such a way that there's not conflict there in the family or the child doesn't feel that they're sort of being ignored. It's not coming at the cost of that relationship. So what, you know, when the parent's getting a phone call at the dinner, either, you know, the rule is no, no phones for anyone, or it's, Hey guys, I'm doing this because it's a phone. I'm, I'm actually explaining what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Right. Because for kids, they don't know what the parent's doing, you know, they don't, right. they don't know. Right. Right. Um, so explaining to your child what you're doing um, and being open to that back and forth.
0: Yeah. And I think that that communication and that sort of being like, okay, I'm taking this work call now is sort of even pushed to the brink during the pandemic when a lot of parents found themselves working from home for the first time and their kids doing school remotely from home and really having to like navigate that to like a hyper sort of degree than even before.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I was on, um, on a, conversation in the UK. And and one of the things I, you know, a parent was just saying, you know, saying the same thing about, you know, I, I it's really hard to juggle. And, and I think the big takeaway is guilt and parenting are a terrible combination, right? And so, you know, we do the best we can in the settings we're in. And sometimes, you know, just as I was talking about adolescents, I don't have the data, but I would assume that parents are using technology to cope themselves as well. Yeah. And so the ways that we manage um you know let's give ourselves grace right and so and 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 model you know model that that ability to give ourselves grace but i think it's 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 sort of just taking some of the emotion out of the conversation and and like i said going back to what's the quality of my relationship with my teenager and how can i show up best as a parent for them and how can i allow them to do what they're meant to do which is figure out who they are Separate somewhat, have new experiences. These kids are going to be launching when they're eighteen; they're out of the house, right? right? So, you know, as we as we get older, we have more freedom, but with that, you know, I'm responsible for myself in 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 more ways. And and that, you know, adolescence is that key time where they're gonna they're gonna be grown. Yeah, and I think
0: that's an important note to to end on here. So I've just been talking with Catherine Mudecki. She's an associate professor of applied psychology at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia. Her latest study was recently published in the journal Clinical Psychological Science. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for this really fascinating conversation and really important conversation to think about all of this research about teens and the internet and put it in uh, better context. Thanks so much. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio with support from the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcast. Our producer is Claire Scott, and our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Shoshana Bucksbaum. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.